welcome to Sonic Talk episode 441. Recording today our Wednesday the... What is the date today? Wednesday the 16th of March 2016. This is the show we chat about all things music tech and social music stuff and production, electronic music, all of those kind of things. Uh, if you're wondering what that earth this is all about, uh, stay tuned. We've got a great list of panellists and we're also uh, going to be giving away a copy of Isotope's Ozone 7, which is the sort of de facto bus mastering final mastering plugin uh, that'll be coming up a bit later on in the show and if it's your first time here i thoroughly recommend you subscribe particularly if you're watching on youtube uh, just click that button and then you'll get notified every time we put a video this is not the only stuff we do we also do uh, equipment reviews interviews and all such things anyway let's get on with the show so let me see who have we got here i'm going to start over here with uh, dave and chris from g4software.com uh, these are the guys that make the uh, virtual instruments uh, dave is well, as the number, as the letter says, Dave is on the left above the logo, and Chris is on the right. Uh, they are, in fact, business partners, and they both have substantial synth caves. That's Dave's synth cave. How are you, fellas? <laughs> that good, eh? Just fine, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Anyway, it's good to have you both. Chris has very kindly come along because uh, Chris has uh, some history with Mr. Keith Emerson, who uh, unfortunately sadly passed away, and uh, it would be great to hear some of his tales and stories and memories of that. So stay tuned if that's the sort of thing you're interested in as well. Uh, also, we have Mr. Gaz Williams, who's there in Bristol, a uh, producer, bass player, music technologist. How are you, Gaz? Uh, yeah, I'm great. Thank you very much. Um, that Matuki album, which I've been banging on about, uh, that's an album that I produced, is now available to buy. That's, uh, that's uh, uh, And I'm playing bass on that as well. And I've put a lot of production techniques into this one. I'm really pleased how it's come out. And uh, something that uh, made it right to the end was having this absolute, not one beat or note was copy or pasted. Every single sound only occurs once across the whole album. So uh, I was really pleased about that because it's so easy, isn't it, to patch things and to borrow things here and move things around and uh, rather than just get people to play, <laughs> play it again. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've been hearing good things about that. I, I, the, the sound, I heard some uh, rough mixes when I came over the other day and it sounded really good, actually. So uh, well worth checking out. Hooray. Thank you. Big plug. But uh, yeah, why, why not? <laughs> where, where do you find it? Is there a place that you can say quite uh, easily? Yeah, Matuki. Well, I think it's just on, it's on iTunes and Excellent. Spotify. M A T U K I. Go for it. Right. Thank you very much, Gaz, for joining us. And we also have from uh, stateside, Mr. Rich Hilton, who is uh, Nile Rogers studio guy, as well as playing regularly in the disco touring extravaganza that is Chic. How are you, Rich? Oh, I'll switch you on. That'd be better, wouldn't it? Sorry about that. Try now. Very well, thank you. Excellent. It was you, not me, this time. No, it was me, not was you, this time. The record that it was not me this time. That's <laughs> yes. Right. For those of you who perhaps don't watch, there has been uh, somebody came up with a Sonic Talk bingo where you uh, every time Rich mute, muted his mic, you'd take a drink or win a point. It's uh, quite a fun game. But that was me, so you can't you can't uh, attribute that take, one to. Take a drink anyway. Take a drink anyway. Right. I've just got to get my head around this a little bit because I'm slightly yeah, it's a bit yeah. Anyway, so um, obviously. The, the the big big news of the week really is the passing of uh, Mr. Keith Emerson, which is a really kind of bizarre thing because I, I, only at Nam the other week, uh, well a few weeks ago, what eight weeks ago, he was on the Moog booth and uh, doing because he had a very very long association with Moog, of course. Uh, and and Keith is is one of uh, it's it's easy to use the word legend, but it's very 
unusual for it to be earned. And I think it would be fair to say that he is definitely one of those legends of the industry. Very kind of well known for his the way that he kind of pioneered the whole performance aspect using live electronics on stage and just basically wigging out and a whole generation of people for them. He is the kind of iconic keyboard player. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, a, it's a sad business, but it's, you know, hopefully we'll be able to celebrate him rather than dwell upon the, the, his loss, if you see what I mean. I, I, I'll start with you, Rich. Actually, Rich, did you... I know, I mean, they, they did a lot of big arena tours. I mean, very popular in the States in the 70s. I mean, they were the arena band of the 1970s, weren't they, of that kind of ilk? Well, the first time of probably, I don't know, somewhere between six and ten times that I saw them, was Thanksgiving, November of 1971 at Madison Square Garden, touring on the freshly released or just about to be released Tarkas album. And uh, nobody had ever seen anything like that. Uh, some people in England had seen the nice. Some people in Europe had seen the nice. And they may even have made it over here briefly. But it wasn't as noticed. And uh, this stuff was just unbelievable. And, of course, he had a fairly sizable what looked more or less like a Moog 35 uh, model up there on stage. And it was, it was terrific. It was fan It was mind blowing and game changing stuff. I kind of object to the people. I don't much like the Hendrix of the keyboard uh, analogy. That's sort of been going around online lately, but um, he was a brilliant person who was a fantastic composer, a great interpreter, a really good ambassador for certain kinds of music into a pop format and a brilliant musician, synthesist, uh, and seemingly a nice guy. I, I spent a little bit of time with him, not nearly as much as the people you're going to hear from after I'm done. And uh, he seemed like a really nice man to me, and I'm, I'm just very sad for uh, his family and for Mary and uh, that he was obviously in a sad place in his own life. Yeah, well, I, I think... It, it... I, I did see, like I say, I saw him. I, I took a sneaky picture of him between two posters because I, I was too, I was too embarrassed to go up and say hello because he's just too famous, you know, for me anyway. But I, I, I guess in terms of the whole kind of that era of music, it, it passed me by a little bit because it was, I was probably just a bit too young and I didn't really kind of get that. I think my first exposure to music was probably more in the, in the punk from the punk end of the nineteen seventies. Rather than you know, rather than the prog rock, and I guess that was something that would kind of replace that whole thing. Gaz, I, I'm just going to come because I know you're a big fan of prog rock. I mean, they have a major uh, position in 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 kind of performance history, really, and musical history. I mean, because a lot of the stuff that they did, while you know, to my ears, hasn't isn't necessarily you know to my taste. You see a lot of their influence elsewhere nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I think probably for the big bands, they're the band who are most locked in time, I think, you know, meaning their music hasn't really been as uh, durable, you know, as some of the other prog stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, there is great tracks in the uh, ELP back catalogue, but I do think you have to tread carefully. But anyway, sorry, that's another that's another point. Uh the thing about those ELP albums and brain salad surgery, I think especially, is the sound, the engineering of that, of the, the synth sounds, just sounds amazing. I mean, the track Takata of um, brain salad surgery is uh, it, it, the sound of the synthesizers. I think it just, 
Because that was the album that was used uh, to test hi-fi, wasn't it? You know, to demonstrate. Wow, really? You know, how good your hi-fi was. Go and listen, you know, in a blaster (laughs) to Carter, a brain salad surgery, really, really loud after hi-fi. I find that really funny. (laughs) But um, it's really, it is a terrible, sad thing. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm more into the nice, you know, and that kind of just, it was brutal, raw stuff, you know, and, I'm a real sucker for Hammond, and I mean, he really could, he could really rock the Hammond, rock the Hammond big time, you know. And absolutely, that, uh, you know, uh, amazing, and it's it's horrible. I mean, I I'm such a fan of of like uh, heroic musicianship, you know, and hero musicians. You know, we just don't seem to have them anymore. You know, I I love I love you know hero, you know, hooray, you know, go on. Yeah. Spoil them, boost their egos, <laughs> make them, make them try and do the most ridiculous things. Back them up, you know. That's my, that's my, that's my. Uh, I, I, everyone now is so kind of just put your musician in a in a box, keep it small, keep it, keep it packageable, keep it functional. You know, Keith Emerson's like the probably the greatest exponent of the opposite of that. You know, <laughs> oh. Sad, sad story. Really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, I mean, one of the reasons, uh, hello, Chris, that we have you is you toured with uh, Emerson for quite some time. Um, and I've got, I mean, you must have. Uh, well, I've heard some of them. I know you've got a lot of tales and stories. But I'm just going to play this one thing first and you can tell me whether it means anything to you, if that's all right. I found this video. This was... Uh, and. There are several things about it that strike me. This is one of the ones that I know really well. Obviously, fanfare of the common man. This is, uh, I think, this is Ontario, 1977, according, and this is the promo video they obviously did. Uh, but the thing that I notice is, it looks absolutely bloody freezing. There's snow on the ground, and they've got the Moog modular in there, and I'm just thinking, there's no way any of that electronics is going to work at all. And I can't. I, I'm guessing they must have actually been doing the gig. In the evening, possibly. Anyway, I'll let you watch a little bit of this, just so that we can... I think that's a Yamaha. Is that a GX or a GS? I forget which. GX1. GX1. There's the modular. And they're obviously all freezing their nuts off, because they've got the like, bomb, leather bobber jackets and stuff on it. So, my question is, Chris, was that something that you were involved in? Because I don't know the period exactly that you were. No, no. Oddly, the the time span that I spent with Keith was relatively short, but probably something like eighteen months. But it was in his fallow period, a period when Emerson, Lake, and Palmer uh, folded, and they had a new band, which was uh, Emerson, Yank, and Palmer, with a chap called Robert Berry right. on bass. And uh, my introduction, much the same as you, the the prog era ELP kind of passed me by because I'm a bit young for that and uh being sort of more punk oriented didn't really have an appreciation for his skills the first time that i met him i went down to seven oaks and we delivered i'd taken the gx1 that you saw in the uh in that clip to his um barn studio at his home and i immediately was struck by just what a lovely chap he was he was really kind and welcoming uh invited us to stay for lunch and said he'd knock something fresh and lovely up and turned up with beans on toast. Uh, 
He was he was a genuine he was a genuine just a fantastic person but he had a really profound effect on me musically in terms of uh my appreciation of his skills. I can't say that I was ever particularly a fan but I recognized instantly that he was a master of his craft. He played Flight of the Bumblebee but he had a Baldwin uh grand piano in his studio. And he lay on the piano and played Flight of the Bumblebee backwards. <laughs> wow. And I'd been, I'd been completely blasé about ELP. I really didn't know what they did. I didn't care for them uh, particularly. I didn't really care for prog at that time. And I was struck just by his musical ability there. And then it was jaw-dropping to watch. Um, so th that was my first experience with him. And then... Uh, probably six months later, the three tour, it was Emerson, as I said, Emerson, Carl Palmer and a chap called Robert Berry and a second guitar, uh, and a guitar player called Paul Keller. Um, they were rehearsing out in Campbell, which is near Los Gatos, just near San Francisco. And I was on a tour with another band in Japan and the, the tech who was working for Keith was getting into all sorts of difficulties. Keith had transitioned between the old uh, analog stuff and there was a lot of, uh, well, and some of it was analog, but more digital, couple of digital racks, KX88s, his C3, the Moog 35, I think that's the right model that Rich said, 35, uh, and a Yamaha Grand, the P7. And we toured that for... Uh, about six months around the clubs and theatres of America, taking the grand piano, the Moog, oh my God. the Hammond up, up back stairs, into clubs, into bowling alleys, into all sorts of stuff. It was, you know, a roadie's nightmare. Um, <laughs> but the rehearsal period was amazing. I got off a plane from Japan, having sort of crisscrossed the world, was completely jet-lagged and taken into the studio and Carl was there practicing, practicing his double drum, double bass drum solo, shirt off, sweating, you know, <laughs> why, play, why, why play one drum when a thousand will do, you know, that kind of mishmash. And all the record company execs were there, and I kind of wandered into the room looking more like something out of Curiosity Killed the Cat than a prog-era band. And uh, Keith spoke to me and said hi and then Carl came out to the uh the studio and said to me look straight at me having not met me before and said did you like that and I said not really <laughs> and Keith started roaring with laughter but I felt every other head in the, in the room dip and I realized I'd obviously said the wrong thing to the wrong person but um <laughs> It, it did stand me in good stead eventually. Um, <laughs> we prepared for the tour and uh, packed everything up and went on tour. And, but the Moog was really temperamental. It hadn't been serviced for years. And I believe that at one point, well, there was definitely somebody came, but I think it was a chap called Tom Ray from Moog came out and uh, did quite a lot of um, repair work on it. And it was only used on, oh, you always forget whether it's Redondo or Hoedown, that donkey sound that he uses from the moment. Wah! Wah! 
yeah, because it was so temperamental. We, well, I sampled it into an emulator <laughs> so that if the mode didn't work one night, we had a backup. But yeah, it was uh, an amazing time. And I think, I think both Keith and Carl learned an awful lot on that tour. And by the end of it, they were really quite humble. You know, we were starting off the show with fanfare of a, a fanfare for a common man. And uh, that was played on the KX88s with TXA16, uh, eight of them, I think, in Iraq. Um, but yeah, amazing. Actually, I've got one quite interesting story. On the penultimate show, we were in somewhere in Florida in a club, and the club had gaming machines, and it, it had an audience of about 3,000, but the, the back line was drawing more amps than... Uh, the back line and the gaming machines were drawing more amps than was being fed into the building. So uh, the tour management said to the owner, you'll have to turn the machines off so that we can run the whole show. So that was fine. So we did uh, uh, sound check, lights going, checking everything was fine. Great, everything worked a treat. We get to nine o'clock when the doors are open and the promoter's eyes obviously got the better of him. And he saw all these punters walking in and on went the gaming machines. The change going into them as we waited for the show. We went on, to, on the stage, uh, smoke and everything, filling the, the stage. They played about the first four bars of fanfare for, uh, come on, man. Dun, 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 dun. And the whole power to the building just blew. <laughs> <laughs> And I was sitting behind Keith's racks with a torch up to my face. And he came round to the side and he was shouting at me, do something, do something. <laughs> and I said, I am, I'm laughing. Because <laughs> I knew exactly what had happened. There was nothing we could do. And I explained what had happened. So the whole show was then run with a single spotlight on Keith, a single spotlight on Carl uh, and all the, gaming all the gaming machines off. But it was, it was a nightmare but yeah just a, a genuinely fantastic bloke to work for he said to me at the end of the tour he said uh he said to me you're the happiest bloke i've ever worked with and i said i take that as a real compliment but i'm not really that happy and he said why why are you laughing then i said keith i'm laughing at you and he and he he took he took jokes and you know those kind of jibes really well um yeah, they, it, it was an amazing time and taught me an awful lot about the business and touring and, you know, when, when the mighty have fallen. And I did actually, I didn't really follow their uh, latter return to ELP, but it seemed to be reasonably successful. And obviously there's a great appreciation for their work in the wider music community. So I was really pleased when I saw that they were doing something as ELP again and, and getting the appreciation that they deserve. Because the tour that I did with him, uh, was by an ELP scale very small, but I think much more trying for him and Carla's artists. So, yeah, great times, great times.
Oh, that's fine. So, so I'm guessing that that whole tour, um, ta- you know, that they, they were beginning to embrace new technologies and say using the Kurzweils and stuff. Did it actually end up just being more stuff as well as the old stuff, or replacing any of it? Because I mean, was that something that he was conscious of? Because I guess the, you know the excess mm-hmm. of you know the however many Arctics they had before when they were touring as ELP and what they were de- dealing with now must have been quite challenging to sort of trans uh, to transfer to. No, not really. I think the, the KXs were used in place of the GX1 to get his kind of signature sounds. So that's what the main part of that was. Uh, but we still had the B3, Leslie. We were replacing cones on the Leslie nightly because he ran it so hard and so loud. So we had a pair of those. He had uh, um, an L100, which he threw around the stage. Actually, there is a good story. He was about 40. I remember it was Carl's 40th birthday just before the tour. And we had a party that opened my eyes anyway. Um, but on the tour, just before the tour, Keith came, came to me and said, Chris, I'm not really getting any younger. And I'd like to be able to throw this L100 around like I did in my nice days, because we're going to do some nice numbers and I can still stab it with the knives and do those things. So he said, could you have a think of how that could become easier for me? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll I'll do something. So off I went to Winchester Hardware and I bought a base plate for the L100 and I cut it to shape and I painted it black and I recessed casters into it and made up a big loom for uh, the output and power for it so that he could actually wheel it around the stage and then tip it and do it. So it was easy to (laughs) manoeuvre. And we were... Uh, in um, Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. This is the tap moment. (laughs) And Keith was throwing this L100 around and he banged it onto the casters and downstage it went. (laughs) Off the front of the stage into the front row of the audience, landed on its back and just set about feedback. (laughs) (laughs) And I panicked and I thought, oh, I hope it hasn't hit anybody. And he looked at me and went, leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, eventually it was muted and we picked it up at the end of the show. Was that the last time it was used like that? It it was. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you have a stage with a rake, that could definitely be uh, something very difficult to to deal with. I've I've got one story I think I can repeat because it it kind of shows also where they were at as human beings at that period. Um, It is amusing, and I don't want to be offensive because I do hold him in high esteem, but uh, I think it's worth telling. We're in a hotel somewhere, and I came down in the morning uh, to get on the bus and we were going to the gig, and Keith is in the lobby uh, talking to the concierge who's given him a bag of his laundry. And Keith's completely lost his... He's going mad in sort of artist throwing a wobbler mode. And he says... uh, And I sort of walk over and say, Keith, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. I've just got my dry cleaning and it cost me $85. I can't remember the exact amount, but it's like $85. And I said, you could have walked across to the Woolworth over the road and bought... Socks for the value of six dollars, twelve pairs for six six dollars. 
why did you put them into the dry cleaning? I didn't know it was dry cleaning. It's just washing as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not paying $85. He opened the bag and he said to the concierge, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to pay half the bill and you can have half the socks. <laughs> and, he, and he turned on his heels and marched out of the hotel, <laughs> leaving me tittering. I wonder, was it, was it, did he split them left and right or was it just uh, just purely numerical? <laughs> I've no idea what the outcome was, but it did have me in bits at the time. That does that does remind me of uh, yeah the the touring hotel laundry thing I I I probably told this story before it's not that um uh, um pertinent but I had a really nice top that I bought we when we first got into record deal world we went to see a st- a stylist was hired and we went shopping for the day black cab jumping out right we're going to uh, uh, Kings Road the garage all these places and I bought all these I've still got some of them and this one was particularly I was particularly fond of and I and I checked into this hotel in Sweden it was really posh and I thought oh brilliant I, I need to get this clean because I'll be wearing it non-stop because I really like it and it came back uh, it was an Agnes B top, so it was quite designer. You know, it was quite expensive for the time, and it came back, and it was about this big. <laughs> it, just, it just completely ruined it. It was just like, oh, that's that then. So yeah, beware. He's probably had a lot of experience. I, I hope they were washed well. It sounds like you had a lot of fun there, though. Really, I mean, yeah, and I, I think that that's one of the things also about the man that in you know he was pretty well eagerless. In, to, to the crew and to those around him he was a really top chap to work with he, he rarely got upset about things uh, and I think he's he struggled slightly with the transition um from since with knobs on that he understood and uh, he did understand the modular when we went into racks with you know button pushing and assigning program changes via psychologics and stuff like that. I think he struggled quite a lot with that and didn't really want to, to uh, you know, learn the new technology. So, um, yeah, he, he was he was just, yeah. Oh, in fact, I've just thought of another story. <laughs> oh, go on, if you've got to, It's just one more. Uh, on the final gig uh, that I did with him, I've got t- two things that are quite amusing about the man. Or We put... Uh, I made a sign, I put it on the front of the Moog that said, for sale, owner, leaving planet. And uh, so he came on for the first number and he saw it and he, he was not a fan. And I put a plastic dog shit on his, on his, um, <laughs> on his Yamaha P7. And he was, he really didn't mind stuff like that. And when he was, he was playing, but lying on the piano, playing it backwards, I pulled his boots off. I mean, he really was up for a laugh. He liked nothing more than having a bit of, you know, you hear artists who get most offended about, um, you know, the, the but, most minor thing. And, and I understand that they're in the spotlight and there's a certain pressure that comes with that. But Keith was always up, provided it was good hearted and it wasn't really affecting what he was doing on stage. He was really, you know, a great bloke to be around. Excellent. Top lad. Excellent. Um, finally... The, the last time I saw him was, uh, he, he called me in a panic. We'd finished the tour and I was working for somebody else. And he said, Chris, I'm being interviewed by Japan, Keyboard Japan. Uh, could you come down and make sure everything's working? I said, look, I'm in rehearsals with this other band and I don't know if I've got time. And he was really, sort of sounded desperate. So I said, okay, look, I'll, I'll work away to take a day off. 
And I'll come down. So I drove down to his house in Seven Oaks, got everything working, and he came in and he said, oh, well, they're here now and they're going to do photographs for the first hour. Um, that'd be great. And then we'll come into the studio and I'll do some playing and then we can have a chat. Anyway, so he sat on his uh, big motorcycle, had his photo taken. He went into the studio, took some posy photographs of him. No sooner had the photos finished, he said to the interviewer, Chris will answer all your questions. And just disappeared. <laughs> so, so that pretty well the whole interview was me telling them the answers they wanted them wanted to hear. And when it when it was published, sadly I can't read Japanese, but um, it was all there. So yeah, it was that was the kind of bloke he was. Just yeah, wonderful bloke. Excellent. I mean those 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 kind of ELP touring days must have really. I mean because you from the outside, you know, you get the sense that you know. The, the desire to solo and the focus, you just imagine there'd be sort of this enormous ego and it'd be, it would be an absolute nightmare to work with, you know, the Carl Palmer and what have you would have been, you know, they were constantly clashing, but it sounds like they obviously got on and it was all right. So that's, that's nice to hear, actually. In a way, it's, I suppose it's the more boring answer, but it's better to know that there was all that goodwill and, and, and fun was being had by everybody and it wasn't like a nightmare like it can often be. Yeah, it wasn't a nightmare. I think that the circumstances uh, played a large part in that. You know, we're doing quite relatively small stages. Carl had a, an eight-foot round drum riser, and the first thing that he did every day was to come in and see if Keith was upstaging him. <laughs> so they, they always had to be level along the line of the stage. So there was, there was a bit of ego went on. And, in fact, Carl didn't speak to me for the first four weeks that I worked for them because of my not really comment about his drum solo, not really liking what he did. <laughs> I, was, I was only being honest. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but he, there's a sort of, there was a, I think in many ways he respected me for telling the truth and how that my relationship turned a full 180 in one event. I used to go running from the hotel every morning uh, where we were staying in Los Gatos, there was a big reservoir. So every morning I got up and I went for a run. And Carl used to run as well. Um, he was uh, uh, a karate black belt, I think. I think it's karate, but he was certainly a martial arts black belt. So he's a, a very fit man. Um, but I was only about 23, no, 25 then, 24, 25 years old. And uh, I'd always exercised and always kept fit and... One day, I was running around the reservoir, and I saw Keith, uh, saw Carl just in front of me, and I thought, I'm going to have that old <laughs> <laughs> Beep, he said. <laughs> oh, good pardon. Uh, yeah. uh, so as I drew level to level with him, I said, looked over at him, morning, and he got a bit of a shock to see who it was, and we ran to, and I said, do you mind if I run with you? And he said. No, nothing else. No, and we got about we got quarter about quarter of a mile back, uh, uh, quarter of a mile away from the hotel. And he looked at me and he said, "Last one back to the hotel buys dinner tonight." And I was gone. Poof. And I ran up ran up the stairs and I looked over the balcony. This fantastic little hotel that we stayed in looked off the balcony as as Carl came running into the thing, panting and <gasps> really breathing hard. And uh, he said, fair enough, we're going out for dinner tonight, and I'm, it's my treat. 
and that was it. The right. ice had been broken, and he, and then thereafter, yeah, just just the same as Keith. Brilliant. Excellent. Oh, Chris, thank you so much for sharing those stories. That's fantastic. Ah, well, uh, that's a that. I mean, all jolly good memories to to remember the fellow from. So you know, let's 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 keep it on that way. I, I guess uh, it's probably time that we should have a word from our sponsor at this point in the proceedings. So uh, stay tuned because we'll be announcing the winner of the competition, and also I just hope we'll be giving away yet another copy of Ozone Seven. mastering tools in ozone and ozone advanced. Now, the latest isotope innovations in Ozone 7 bring modern and vintage processing to the forefront of the music production experience. Updated for Ozone 7, Ozone's highly regarded maximizer features a brand new frequency-specific IRC4 algorithm that delivers transparent mixes with less pumping and distortion. Use it to smooth out an unwieldy mix, or tame the kick drum peaks without affecting the vocals. The Dynamic EQ, now in both the advanced and standard versions of Ozone, lives and breathes with your audio, giving you more effective control over your sound without coloring your entire mix. Harness the precision of an equalizer and the musical ballistics of a compressor in one integrated processor. Right, we're going to cut that back in, and I want to say thank you. There seems to be, the audio seems to have dropped out on my ad. I'm going to have to go and get another one of those. That's bizarre. It's like it's degraded or something. There's dropout, MP4 audio dropout. I've never heard of that before. Anyway, um, we want to say uh, you can win a copy of Isotope's Ozone 7. Uh, if you go here, you need to be on Twitter. You want to tweet the hashtag MasterTheMix as one word, and the hashtag Ozone7 to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc., and you will be entered... Uh, automatically to win a copy of Ozone 7. So remember the hashtag Master the Mix and the hashtag Ozone 7 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. There's no spaces in any of those words apart from between the phrases, if that makes it any clearer. Probably not, actually. But we also want to say thank you very much to uh, a winner from last week. Uh, we have the winner is called Edward Fist. And he uh, tweeted the, hash the hashtags that we asked for and also added the little comment, uh, I am sitting in a room different from the one you're in now which is seems plainly obvious really when you think about it but it's also a welcome addition because you do have 140 characters to fill so please feel free to fill them i want to say thank you very much to isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show and uh, very much appreciate them and don't forget to enter the competition right um let's see what's next we can uh, let's should we uh, let's have a oh let's do this one this looks fun i always loved nature but it's only when I started making music with nature that I Diego does how it again. Much there is out there to explore with sounds. He's basically uh, got a gig doing the soundtrack to, I think it's called Kashi Serial. And this is the sort of making of it. It looks really good for us. It's so mostly about exploring sounds from a different perspective in a way that hasn't been done before. It was a multiple levels of consideration, each individual ingredient. How does it move? How does it sound? So this was the whole thing that, I, I, one thing you can tell, as soon as there's some advertising dollars, the quality of the filming and the and the shot just goes up exponentially, doesn't it? All those sort of beautiful slow motion. But it's a, a great fun piece, and it's a, a 
from what I gather, a fairly worthy product. I know nothing about cereals or cashew cereals. Has this aired in the, uh, on TV yet, Rich? Is it something that you've, uh, you've noticed? Do you know if the campaign is live? I don't even know. I don't know the answer to that question. No, that's fair enough. But I, I sure did enjoy watching it today. I had a blast watching that. I love I think Diego's a brilliant guy. I really enjoy these little documentaries about how he creates these pieces of music, and I think it's great. Abso- absolutely. This is kind of mainstream, isn't it, really, Dave? I mean, as we know, you know, Diego's got many talents, and uh, and it's great that there's a gig like this um, for people who do what are seemingly quite off-the-wall uh, projects, really, aren't they? Amazing. I, I, at first, I didn't realise this was an advert, so... I was looking at it going, why is it always sunny in Diego's world? Because <laughs> it is, isn't it? Even, you know, like in his, and I love all of his tutorial films and stuff like that. It's like, wow, it's all, everything just looks really sunny. And then I realised it was an advert because I've seen, particularly the stuff going down and uh, hitting the bell, he's used that to create some Omnisphere sounds. Ah, gotcha. uh, And I'd seen that in a kind of tutorial that he'd done. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant. What can I say? Great fun, uh, Gaz. It's nice to nice to nice to. I, I hope it's uh, highly remunerated as well. I would I would hope so because uh, his talents are worthy. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, <clears throat> he he's just an inspiration, isn't he? I think is uh, yeah, it's amazing. I I don't think there's much more to be said. It's great. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Well, I. I, I Let's move on then. I'm sure you can probably see this. I don't know when it's actually aired because I couldn't find that much information about it. So it's, it's either going to be aired or it must be coming soon if he's actually done the making of video and that's out. So I guess it's going to be on uh, US TV, I would assume. And I don't know. Uh, there's another bit of news, actually. Did you see this? That uh, Stevie Wonder's going to perform Songs in the Key of Life in London uh, at the Hyde Park, uh, what's it called? The Hyde Park Festival Series in July, as is Carol King's going to perform Tapestry as well. I don't know if it is this a new thing that people performing specific albums for of a specific time has anyone seen this before or am i the world started it didn't they Underworld the world started it last year didn't oh. they okay yes yeah. all off style, those trendsetters uh they did it with dub no bass i want to go and see the stevie wonder songs in the key of life because that album just blew me away oh i, I was aware of the kind of seminal three albums, three albums talking book innovations of fulfilling this. And I could never afford um, Songs in the Care Life. And I went on a French exchange and the, the guy who whose house I was staying at, the father, had a, had not only had Songs in the Care Life, but he also had a quadraphonic sound system. So I just didn't bother going out. I just listened to it <laughs> day in, day out, non-stop until I'd memorised everything. I still know all the ad-libs for every single track. And <laughs> I and when I left, he gave it to me. Ah. He said, I think, I think you need wow. this more than me. So, yeah, I'm, I don't like those kind of big... Enorma Dome gigs, but I've made up my mind I will be on the phone on the 18th. I think the tickets go on sale. Yeah, March. So if anybody out there beats me to it, you go straight to the top of my death list. (laughs) I don't think Stevie Wonder will turn up on the night that Dave's going. (laughs) (laughs) Be warned. I wonder how authentic, because isn't that one of the Tonto albums? Tonto era albums. No, this was the GX1, actually, amazingly ah. enough. I mean, uh, 
Margalef and Cecil were involved with everything up to Jungle Fever. Wow, you see, I really am showing what a nerd I am on this front. Uh, so they were involved. In fact, they were quite heavily involved in a lot of stuff, but gradually their credits got less and less and less, which is what I believe led to them kind of splitting. But this was... He refers to it on the, on the sleeve notes as the Yamaha Dream Machine. And when Chris and I went to record the GX1 uh for the for the vsm library all i wanted was the strings from village ghetto land so i'm ringing up you know gordon reed beforehand just going uh, i just want the village ghetto land strings you can keep anything else i'm not worried about fanfare for the common man any of that stuff i just want the village ghetto land strings which turned out to be a preset anyway so yeah. oh oh well that sounds good i mean uh, um Rich, is, I'm sure I've seen that because the, some of the 80s uh, acts that are touring at the moment do kind of entire albums in their entirety as well. And I think that that kind of retro thing, and it's, inter- it's an interesting concept. I mean, I guess, you know, as we see more and more live performances, because, you know, that's the way that the industry is able to generate money, there are sort of new concepts and new things kind of coming along to, to spice it all up. And I suppose, as you know, most people tour to promote their new album, which most of the audience are not so interested in anyway, of a a long, uh, a band that live a long time. I don't know very many people who tour to promote their new album anymore. Right. Uh, You could arguably say that you too did, but they played a lot and they played long and they had that incredible presentation. And uh, just to address Dave's point, every day you spend in a room with Stevie Wonder when he's making music is a good day. Every single day. I've seen him so many times going back to 1973, and uh, it's just never even slightly disappointing. It's always jaw-dropping and amazing and wonderful. And the man opens up his mouth and hits come pouring out. It's really, it's quite unbelievable in his playing and his whole thing. His singing is just amazing. And when he stops singing and plays harmonica and it's the same voice... It's even more amazing because there aren't too many guys who can do that. There's really a limited number of people who speak the same no matter how they're presenting the melody, whether it's on a horn or in a harmonica or in the voice. And Louis Armstrong could do it. Stevie Wonder could do it. There's, there's only a few people, really, who've, who've done that well. And Stevie is a marvel. Have, and, you, have, uh, you, ever, have you ever worked in the studio with him? Has, has there ever been a point where you've no. been? No. Okay. Never met him. Never met him. Just, but I, blew I'll him pay out to see him. <laughs> Pardon me? We, me and Chris blew him out once. That was why my comment is that he's going to pay you back when I turn it up. We were supposed to meet at NAM. It was kind of all set up, and Stevie wants to meet you, and he wants to talk to you about this, that, and the other. And well, Every Sunday, I used to travel up to Santa Monica to eat a certain fish, weirdly enough, mahi-mahi, which you can't get over here, or, and if you can, it's not very good. So I'd always leave and go up there for lunch, and then I'd come back for the afternoon, and it was kind of get ahead together. And Chris was man in the booth in the days when we had a booth, and uh, somebody else manned it for us. And we, and we both went up there, and we had a really nice walk, and it got to, like, 1 o'clock, and it was like, oh, we're meeting Stevie at 3. Uh, I suppose we'd better leave now. And then we looked at each other and went, Nah, we'll have one more coffee. So by the time we got back, he'd waited for like 20 minutes. I'm really sorry, Stevie, about this. If you're listening, I doubt whether you are. But um, he'd waited for about 20 minutes and everyone was going mental. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Stevie waited for like 20 minutes. So, yes. Ouch. (laughs) You stood him up. Well, you know, 
Yeah, but conversely, what happens is is that the guys, his entourage go round on a Saturday, I think. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw them this year at NAMM, yeah, st- still massive entourage. Yeah, and well, they was... would plan his trip, you see, around the show. So they would constantly be coming up on the blag, kind of going, oh, I'll, you know, Stevie will come by tomorrow and say hello, are you going to be here about three and whatnot? You could almost set the time by what time you can. Anyway, it was like one. It was one of those moments. Don't you know that kind of don't meet your hero moment? Because what what would I say other than? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> You're brilliant. I love you. I've yeah. got every album you've ever done. Yeah, I suppose. Even the one that on the piano with the phone. Yeah, I just called. Yeah, <laughs> that's that is a lo- that's the only low point I can think of. But, you know, if there is such a Listen to that in isolation. I had the privilege of listening to him just sing that with a piano. No backing band and everything. And actually, even though I hate to admit it, it's a a good song. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. I just remember... It's a little embarrassing. In fact, I'm glad that we don't go to Nam anymore because Dave's one of those people that follows Stevie around singing. I just called... (laughs) (laughs) To say... I I just called to say I'm sorry I'm late. I'm not going to make it's it. It's really yeah. funny because you can hear him go into like, there was the karaoke hall, wasn't it? <laughs> and he'd go in and then like everyone would spark up with like, I wish and stuff like that. And you just must think, oh my God, he must just like, oh, can we go to the next hall now, now? Oh, yeah. Gaz, we haven't heard from you for a while. Um, it's a really interesting idea. I mean, who? My, one of the questions that I had around this whole topic was, yeah. Who and what album would you like to see performed live? Let, let's say, yeah. ass, assuming everybody was still with us. Talk, talk, Spirit of Eden. Imagine that. Ooh. Yeah. That would be the most amazing thing ever, I think. Did they, play, li- did they play a lot of live gigs? Not beyond a certain point. Right. Uh, and not of that material as far as I'm aware. But I mean, for, for those of you who don't know it, Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk, I would, I'll go on. I think it's maybe the greatest album, certainly I think the greatest album production of all time, that's my, in my opinion. Uh, and to see that live, I think would just, just be, I think it would be a sensation. Mm. Oh yeah, sensation. that's a nice idea. Mm. And I think what's, what's really nice about that album, I think is that uh, it was, uh, it came out in 1988. And it's it's really interesting because it it it, it kind of uh, it was very ahead of its time. One of the reasons was, I think um, Mark Hollis, the frontman, he really the, the he really got quite sick of the texture of this of the eighties texture, which people were only still just getting to terms with. Um, and uh, there was a conscious decision on that album to use. Uh, only things from pre nineteen sixty seven, so all all the all, all the source all the source sounds had to have that um, that criteria. So you weren't allowed to use anything that was beyond that point in time. But it was actually recorded onto digital tape. So it's a really interesting idea of this vintage front end onto digital recording. But that's back in nineteen eighty eight. You know, so oh, that's an interesting idea. I wonder how they perform that live. I mean, you could actually pull enough instruments together that would be still surviving to actually pull the gig off. I suppose it would all be... I know, Rich, is there, is there a particular album-artist combination you'd like to see perform live in its entirety? If it wasn't Stevie Wonder? Hmm. I've seen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, you know, like uh, most of the things that might have been on that my list for that, I've seen multiple times. Oh, well, um, that's great. I, but I don't tend to go. I haven't been to many of the album presentation concerts. I've just seen the substantial, you know, majority of a particular album that I loved performed in a more broad right, gotcha. concert context by these people. But uh, and this this album touring, I know Dave was kidding, but this album touring thing goes back a while. I mean, there this goes back a ways. It's more popular now, along with the tribute band world, yeah. which is also very popular now and back then was kind of poo-pooed and frowned upon. It's also a we live in a tribute band world where it ain't just Vegas and Atlantic City anymore uh, for the tribute bands. They actually do well. My, my band in 1978 that did 40 Minutes of Steely Dan would be loved today. <laughs> we were ah. so far ahead of our time. <laughs> oh, I just thought, I know what I'd like to see. I, I'd like to see King Crimson performing either Discipline or um, Beat. Apparently, uh, the current version of King Crimson isn't likely to ever touch any of that 1980 yeah. band material. I know. Well, I remember because uh, they were they were playing in Birmingham when I went, and that, and it was an era that I wasn't so familiar with, and I just love to see that. I think Adrian Ballou is one of the, if not the best, guitarists of that type ever. Massively underappreciated. I mean, he is him and Fripp great. together are just mind blowing. And Fripp is yeah. there was actually was quite interesting because there was some Fripp. Uh, I know we're not talking much about synthesizers. Uh, uh, some of the chat room <laughs> getting a bit tetchy, but that's the way it goes. But the um. <laughs> But the uh, with the whole Bowie thing, there were some interviews with uh, with Fripp, and there was a, somebody recounting uh, an interview that they had, and they drove they drove, well, they got on a train, went down to Taunton. He was in that sort of area uh, of the West Country, and, and interviewed him. And they said he got off the train, and he had to, he had his tape cassette, and Fripp just basically talked at him for three and a half hours without cessation and fed him really un unusual and unpalatable vegeta vegetarian food at which point the journalist was 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 physically ill and then sat back oh, on the no. train and went back and after just having filled up several c90s worth of of frit yeah. he's a very unusual guy and i'm guessing baloo might be quite an unusual guy as well it must have been you know that's that that there's that stuff just really connects with me that or japan but I, I haven't seen japan i don't think i just did i see japan play live i might have done actually i can't remember now that's a terrible thing i can't actually remember i saw most of the band but obviously mick's not around anymore so that wouldn't be likely to happen i saw the uh, that version of king crimson a number of times oh and uh, from what i understand christmas cards are not exactly flying between adrian and uh, robert these days yeah, I can understand. I, I imagine they're very uh, well. I imagine Fripp's probably quite a, a a difficult person to get on with. I mean, he's so singular and so kind of um, I don't know. Yeah. unusual, shall we say, eccentric. I think is what the word I was looking for. Bill Bruford is somewhat eloquent in his book about mm. Robert, and uh, both a combination of. Uh, Dread and respect, I think. It's, I don't know if they're in equal measure. I can't now. say for sure if they're in equal measure. What's that, Dave? Bill's a doctor now. Dr. Bill. Yeah. Dr. Oh, Bruford. Yeah. No, he, he really is. Oh, he yeah. Went back to university. So Doctor he had something, to fall, had something to fall back on, as his mother would say. Yeah. 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 In fact, we had, yeah. No, that was an interesting we had a conversation about this with. But Bill's always. Uh, we can't really say, can we? But he's always been really careful with money. 
And actually, he's never had that kind of peaks and troughs of, you know, um, being in and out of favour that some of the kind of front men have had in these prog bands. Bill's always been very, very consistent. And he was just, yeah, just always very careful with money, wasn't he? Mm. Interesting. Interesting character. But yeah, but congratulations, Bill. Now you're a doctor. Yes, Dr. Bill. Anyway, um, I uh, I think that's probably enough for today. And uh, thank you very much uh, for your uh, your stories chris and and also dave for for yours too so uh don't forget to check out g4 software stuff because uh all of that practice that you had chris climbing up and down uh lugging huge heavy electronic instruments has obviously paid off because you've managed to lug quite a lot of them into your property to sample so so i think that tra- that training was obviously clearly formative shall we say I won't be lugging any more about that. I'm too broken. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> I know that feeling. But uh, anyway, thank you very much, Chris. And thank you, Dave. G4software.com. Been a pleasure to have you aboard. And Mr. Gaz Williams as well. Well, thank you for thank you for your presence. I know we didn't get a chance to talk to you much, but there was a lot of great, great <laughs> material today. So thank you for joining us too. So just uh, an early plug for um, the Sonic state live show oh yes i was gonna i was gonna do that the sonic state live yeah 26th of march 26th of march there's the t-shirt you can buy them is there is have we got an official site that people can uh, go to to see it no i haven't created a subdomain or anything but uh but i might keep an eye (laughs) well i I suspect i suspect it'll probably just be sonicstate.com live forward slash live where the podcast is it'll just be a live stream that you can watch it there i think that's the plan that that makes sense that makes sense but uh chuck it in your diaries 26th of that's that's putting us on the line though isn't it nick about the stream well the (laughs) stream i my part of the streaming uh technology has been tested so i'm feeling confident it's just network isn't it we just don't know about network i mean if network allowing so hopefully what we'll we'll probably do is get the venue to switch off their wi-fi code for everybody else and just leave it for us um, that would be the best thing to do, but we'll see. But yes, it's going to be fun. And of course, we're going to, uh, the source distribution very kindly donated uh, Personas PA for us. So we got some nice mm. Personas AI stuff, a little desk, a pair of active monitors. Uh, so it's all going to be kind of good fun, I think. Uh, and and, I, and I'm managing to, I'm incrementing my, my, my set by bars a day. So I've just got to keep practicing so that it's not completely unfamiliar, which it has been. But yes, please do come along. 26th of March uh, and the live stream will be there. And if you've got a ticket, that'll be fab. So I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be debuting something really special as well on that show okay that's what we call a tease excellent it is yeah yeah right okay and rich thank you very much for joining us as well i hope you will be able to join us live for that stream if not before because obviously we'll be having shows and uh thank you very much for joining us too thanks for having me great to be here as always Great. Okay. Well, uh, that's it for this week. Just to remind you, if you want to join the uh, the competition, you need to tweet the hashtag uh, Master the Mix and the hashtag Ozone Seven to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc to enter your copy to win a chance, a chance for a chance to win a copy of Ozone Seven. That's what I was trying to get out. And also uh, a couple of things coming up: uh, Super Booth in Berlin. We'll be going to Super Booth in Berlin. That's from the thirtieth of March, three days, and then the following week is Music Messa. So it's a fairly hefty german show schedule but there will be a lot of uh, content coming through us so do stay tuned that's it thank you very much for watching see you next time